So I will say, I will say this, uh, thank you for bearing with us in technology. I'm hoping that as I use technology in my notes, that the same thing doesn't happen. Is that our tech team uh, handled it gracefully. I mean, when, when stuff freezes up, all you can do is restart. So thank you guys for hanging in there. And, and the reality is, I think that I'm reminded, and maybe we're reminded, that as great as the resources are that are available to us, as much as we rely on even lights and microphones to make things happen on a given morning, that none of that is necessary to worship God. That, that he can be worshipped without any of this. We could leave this building in the open air of Holdenville with no amplification, no screens, no words displayed, and still offer up praise and honor to God uh, for who he is and what he's done. And yet these things can help us, and we're grateful for them. So today we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you turn there, uh, just know it'll take a little bit for us to get there, and so I'm not trying to bait and switch you. Uh, I'm just trying to lay the groundwork so that when we do get there, we understand. Last week we started our series looking at the baby Jesus, uh, and we're saying dwelling on the one who made his dwelling among us. So the idea that Jesus is God with us, that he came, left heaven, made his dwelling among us, um, and there's so much packed into that little package, that little baby laying in a manger, that we want to try to dwell on that and unpack that. Who is this baby? What is he sent for? What did he do? What has he done? And I'm reminded in that we're looking backwards. So we know the story and how it unfolded as as. Mary and Joseph are there on that Christmas morning or night or whenever it happened during the day. And the shepherds came after the angels announced to them. And they're beholding this baby in a manger. You know, there were some things that were told to Mary and Joseph. And yet I don't think, there's no way they could have had an idea of everything that unfolded throughout his life and then his death and then his resurrection and the significance of the baby that was laying there. And yet his fleshly life, earthly life, began just as any of ours did. If you're sitting here in the room, breathing and heart beating, you began as a little baby. And so to think that the Savior of the world began in the same way that we did, anyway, there's so much there. So, so we unpacked then, based on the idea of Luke 24, 27, that all of the Old Testament, all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus and fulfilled by Jesus, we began looking at the promises and prophecies made uh, to Eve, um, that there would come somebody to crush Satan, to defeat Satan, that there was a promise made to Abraham, that from his offspring all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we saw that Jesus is that offspring in both of those cases, that he defeated Satan, that through faith in Christ, because of his death and resurrection, that anybody to come to him in faith could be blessed, meaning to be reconciled with God, to have relationship with God, to find forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And in that way, he brought blessing on all nations, all peoples of the world, which is partly, side note, 
the necessity of us praying for the nations because it's all nations, all peoples, tribes, and tongues. And there are some that don't know that yet. And it is for us who do know that to go and share that with them. That's our calling. All nations. He came for all nations that they would be blessed. So we saw how Jesus was the fulfillment of those things. This week we are looking and focusing on, I think, a, a bloody and tedious process. You say, why Christmas time? That doesn't really fit. Well, it, it does, because it's part of the joy of Christmas is the working out of that process. So this morning, in getting us to think towards that, I brought uh, this. The team on the front is not the point, okay? If that offends you, that's not, that's not the point. But what I want you to think about is the name on the back of this. Barry Sanders. 21, Heisman Trophy winner. Oklahoma State goes on to play in the NFL, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Regardless of if you're an OSU fan, um, he's great. So pretend for a second that we could gather up some guys or girls if you would want to. I don't mean to exclude you, sorry. It's just what I say. We could go down to the football field after we conclude here. I could put this jersey on. I could assume the position of running back. You hand me the ball, and I can do some jukes, and I could give a stiff arm right, and I could do one of his famous spin moves, right? And I could run with the ball. I could evade, maybe, everyone on the field, and I could look like Barry Sanders. And somebody walking down the street may go, oh, Sanders. He's playing again. And you laugh because even though you've not seen me run with a football on a football field, you realize I'm not an NFL quality running back. Nor am I even close to the greatest of all time. But I could, in some ways, look the part and play the part. I would have the jersey. I am a man. Right, I've got legs that can work. I can move and run to an extent. But I'm not, I'm not genuine in that. I'm not the full-fledged Barry Sanders. I'm simply holding a place with a name. I'm, a, in some ways, even a parable lookalike in that case. As we think about getting into Hebrews chapter 10, that's kind of the idea that is being communicated to us. So let's back up like 3,500 years ago, 1500 B.C.-ish, okay? Rather than coming together as people on a Sunday morning and worshiping through song and through prayer, if you were going to worship God in 1500 B.C., it would look like you as an individual, it would look like you bringing first um, what we're going to call a sin offering and then also a burnt offering. And I'll explain those, okay? So sin offering, probably for you, it looks like a lamb. If you can't afford to bring a lamb with you, you could substitute like a two doves. You could substitute two pigeons. I mean, but you, you bring that offering, and so what you do, because of the presence of sin, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that sin is missing God's mark, that God has set 
a mark, a bullseye, and we as people fail to walk in obedience. We fail to, to walk in his measure. And so by missing the mark that he set for us, we have sin. And so to come to God in worship requires uh, atonement or our sin to be atoned for, to be taken care of. It requires uh, a sacrifice to be made. And so in the Old Testament, we would bring a sin offering for that purpose. And so we would bring that to the priest. And there was a place outside of a tent that that's brought uh, in Bruce's Sunday school class last week. We talked about the altar that is outside of that tent. Uh, and so that altar, I can't remember the dimensions, but let's pretend it's about so, um, and it's, it's square, it has a grate on it, and then on the four corners of that are horns that are sticking up. So what we would do is we would bring that lamb, and the priest would uh, direct me, let's just say I'm doing it, okay? He would direct me, I would place my head, hand on the head of the lamb. And this signifies that my sins are being put on him and that lamb then they would slice his throat or hers uh anyway of the lamb right and they would drain the blood from that animal into a bowl and then the blood in that bowl he would take and he would put it on the horns of the altar and then they would um, kind of like you're cleaning a deer they would begin to dissect that lamb up and they would dissect all the fat portions I don't know exactly what this means. I'm not familiar enough with butchering lambs to know what parts that is, but the main thing is all the fat portions. Side note, those of you who like steaks, I, I, I'm not that I don't like steaks, but for people who love steaks, I'm not a steak guy because ribeye is not really my thing. Uh, I know that the ribeye is supposed to be one of the best cuts. It's got the fatty pieces in it, and that gives it so much flavor and all this. If you agree with that, can I hear you? Yes? No? Yes? Okay. I'm just not that. I don't like the fatty pieces in there. I know that they serve a purpose. I would rather have something lean like a New York strip or a filet, not because I'm like hoity-toity. I just don't like the, I just don't like that chewy or the soft, like, gristly, fatty stuff. You know, Mark's with me, I can tell. But that's where all the flavor comes from. That's where the tenderness comes from in a cut of meat. And so, so when you bring the fat portions of that animal in offering, you're, you're offering up the choicest part of it. Okay, and so they would take the fat portion of that after it's been dissected and cleaned and all that. They would put that on the altar, which has a fire on it, and they would burn the fat portions on the altar. The rest of that animal they would take outside the camp, um, and it would be disposed of in a, in a, no, no, I'm sorry, a sin offering. The priests and their families would be able to eat the meat that was offered and left over from that. So it didn't go to waste in a sin offering. So that's the sin offering. That's just a precursor to worship. Okay, then the, the worship, the act, the offering of devotion and trust in the Lord is the burnt offering. And so then you bring the burnt offering. And so this animal, whatever it is in your case, and there's a couple of choices, this, all this is laid out in Leviticus chapter 1, I believe Leviticus 5. Okay, so the burnt offering then, once sins have been atoned for, the burnt offering is offered. In the same process, you lay your hand on it, the blood is drained out, 
the, the priest in this case then takes the blood from that and he puts it on the side of the altar, all the sides, and then the rest of the blood is poured out at the bottom of the altar. The rest of the animal is then placed on top of the altar and burned, the whole, a burnt offering. Okay, the whole thing is burned in this case. And that offering is said when it's offered with a heart of worship, not out of ritual and routine, but desiring to, to reflect devotion and trust in the Lord, that is said to be a pleasing aroma to God. Kind of like burning incense in your home or scentsy wax things in the little thing, pleasing aroma. It's offered up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is how worship happens. So we cannot have worship without sacrifice. And in the, explaining that process, if you can imagine... I'm not a big fan of cleaning animals, okay? Like hunting. Not, it's not my thing. Cutting all the, anyways, I'll explain you the details. It's a bloody process. Draining the blood, holding it, putting the blood where the blood's supposed to go in that whole process. It's a bloody process. It's a tedious process. Specific parts cut out, specific things on the altars, other things not, and you've got to know which sacrifice you're offering and where the other stuff goes, and all of that. It's a, it's a bloody, tedious process. Sacrificing for sins is a bloody, repetitive process, but it is a process that is necessary for worship. And it is not any less true then than now. So that is all individual. There's also a corporate aspect to that in the Old Testament. Out of Leviticus 16, once a year on the day of, you may have heard this term, Yom Kippur. Anybody heard that? Okay, it's a Jewish holiday. It's, it's described in the Bible. God gives specific directions in Leviticus chapter 16 for that. And so what happens is the high priest comes after offering his own sin offering. Then he brings two goats. Okay, and they cast lots. You have goat one and goat two. Which one is one? We don't know. One's goat one, one's goat two. They decide which one's goat one, which one's goat two. Goat one is sacrificed. Okay, same process. Blood drained, captured. Then the priest will take that blood with him inside the tent to the holy place, and he will put that on these specific holy places, holy things in there to atone for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. And then the second goat, they take, and the priest comes out, it's alive, okay, lays his hand on the goat's head and confesses the sins of all of Israel onto that goat. And that goat is then taken outside of the camp and chased it off into the wilderness, get out of here, go on, right? And the sins, and it signifies, the sins of all of Israel are placed on that goat and he takes them because of the sacrifice that was made. This is the process for all of Israel, for their sins. And, and that goat that runs off alive, anybody know what that's called? The scapegoat. You guys do. The scapegoat. That's where we get our term to be the scapegoat. That that one is alive, he takes away the sins. And it's a picture for us. That process, that whole process is tedious. That happens year after year. The process of individuals offering sacrifices for sins and sacrifices in worship is an ongoing thing. It happened all the time, and not to mention, 
every single day the priests would wake up and they would offer a burnt offering on the altar every single day for the nation of Israel. And the fire on the altar would never go out. Tedious process. Bloody process. Lots of animals died in the process. Somebody had to die as a penalty. Blood had to be shed as a penalty. And the solution in this case was animals' blood rather than humans. It's part of God's mercy in not requiring our own death at the moment for our sins. It's delaying that. So what in the world does that have to do with Jesus? What does it have to do with Hebrews 10? It has everything to do. But remember, sacrificing is a bloody, tedious process. Sacrificing is necessary for worship. Enter Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would have no longer have any consciousness of sins. So, hold on a minute. So he's saying that law, the ceremonial law in the Old Testament is what we'll call it. That law was a shadow of the good things to come. Only a representation, a brief representation of the good things to come. Uh, an inadequate, though, picture, inadequate picture of the things to come. Because it says... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It, it was a reminder of sins every year. It was a holding off of punishment for sins by the shedding of blood, but it was only animals' blood, not human blood, so that it wasn't a one-for-one one deal. But in these sacrifices, verse 3, there is a reminder of sins every year. For, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These are just bulls and goats. They're just animals. It's impossible for them to take away sins, meaning completely and fully and finally with no remembrance of it. Because if it was possible, you wouldn't have to do it every year as they were doing. Right? But they did it every year all the time without fail because it was just a shadow not a true form of the reality and consequently verse 5 when christ came into the world he said sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body have you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you take in no pleasure then i said behold i have come to do your will O god jesus is saying I have come, Jesus, to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said, above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, so the first what? He does away with the first process. All of the animal sacrifices, all of the sin offerings, all of the burnt offerings. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. What's the second? The second is Jesus. The second is Jesus saying, I have come to do your will. And no, us knowing, looking backwards, 
What is that? That he would sacrifice himself. I have come to do your will, God. Jesus, if you remember, praying in the garden right before he goes to the cross, he's praying in the garden, he says, God, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other way besides me being tortured and executed on the cross, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm open to it. Listen, if there's any other way, let's do it. But if not, your will be done. I'm here to do your will. And if that means me being tortured and executed on the cross, then so be it. He says he came to put away the first, the old sacrificial order, the old ceremonial law, in order to establish the second. And that, and by that, will, meaning God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of animals every year. No. That's not what it says. Right? It's not, it's not what it says in that verse. In verse 10. Thank you. And by that will, God's will, we have been sanctified. We, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, have been sanctified, have been set apart, have been made new through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Are you beginning to get a picture of the shadow and the true thing? The shadow, animals offered every year, year after year, daily. Versus the true thing, Jesus' body was broken, was offered once for all. Not just all the time for a specific nation, but one time for anybody. All nations, peoples, tribes, tongues, from one time all the way to another time. All, one sacrifice for all. So much better. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstools for his feet. So you have these priests standing day after day after day, offering sacrifices in worship to God. And the contrast of that, Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice one time, no longer having to stand daily before God in worship, he sat down. His sitting down in heaven is the signif signifies, if I can talk right, that it's done. That it doesn't have to be done anymore. That what he did on the cross, the sacrifice of himself for all people in all time was sufficient for all sins to be forgiven. It requires nothing else, no other sacrifice, no other bloodshed, no other life given. What he did, he did once, and that was enough in Christ. All time, single sacrifice, sat down because it was done, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, just in case, one, just in case you missed the repetitiveness of the verses, I think he's trying to get across. Jesus, one for all. Jesus, one sacrifice for all. Jesus, over and over, he's pointing back to Jesus' sacrifices, one for all. All who? 
all, all peoples in all time, in all places, are forgiven through Jesus, every single person who ever lived and breathed, is that what he's saying? Just in case we thought that that's what it meant, he, he provides a little note of clarity in there, okay? So, so catch me when I say this, okay? What I'm not saying is that it's not possible for all people to be saved through Christ, okay? What I'm saying is, Scripture is pointing to, that's not everybody who is saved. Okay, see the difference here? Jesus' blood was shed once for all, making it possible. That doesn't mean that every single person who's ever lived is forgiven. Because it says, for by a single offering, verse 14, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now there's so much in that verse. Who are those who are being sanctified? It's those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, saying, I know that I can't bring any sacrifice, any offering to make up for my sins. Jesus is the only one. I trust that. I surrender my life to him. And then in that whole process, our old nature is put away. He makes us new, gives us new life, and then he makes us like Jesus. He changes us from the inside out. That's the, those who are being sanctified. It begins at one point in time and continues until you die. Those who are being sanctified. So it's not every single person who's ever lived of all time. It's those who would trust the sacrifice that was made. Okay? Again, I want to reiterate, just so we're clear. I'm not saying that not all people can be saved. Okay? I'm saying not all people are because it's only through faith in Jesus. Are we... You got me? You with me? Okay. Just want to make sure, because that's important. I just want to make sure we're clear. His sacrifice is good one time for all. And then verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin guys this is huge for us this is huge for us this is why when you came in here there wasn't a priest standing at the door saying did you bring your lamb and your bull today that's why there's not an altar of fire that's why there's no bowls that have blood on them that's why there's no blood on the stage or around your seats because we don't have to offer up offerings to come and worship because there's already been one offering made that we could never top god himself in the flesh in jesus christ came and gave his life blood drained out for our sake and that is one for one meaning it's a man that died a perfect man not somebody who deserved to die because of their sin but somebody who did not deserve to die and his blood being poured out was not punishment for him. Our punishment was put on him so that we could freely come into this place this morning and sing praises to God because of that. That we could offer up our offering, which is an offering of praise. Which, Romans 12, is an offering of our lives. Therefore, Offer up yourselves as a living sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. So Jesus 
in his sacrifice for us on our behalf, made a way for us to come together to worship, for our sins to be remembered no more, that we would find forgiveness and that our offering would not be animals in our place, but that our offering is praise to the one who made everything possible, praise to the one who made eternal life possible, that we don't have to suffer for the consequences of our sin, that Jesus did and rose again and sits in heaven at the right hand of God on high, ruling and reigning over everything. And we could come in here and freely worship through faith in him. It's huge for us. Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Once for all. He's the one sacrifice that could end the whole thing. He is the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So why do we care? Or, or what do we do? Is it just sufficient that we know that? Is it just sufficient that you agree with me on that? Or, better yet, excuse me, agree with God's word on that? Or ought we respond in some way to that? Should that change us in some way? And first, I would say, yes, it should change you. As you offer, you surrender your life to Christ. That the only way for that offering to be applied to you in his blood that was shed, to be applied to you so that you find forgiveness of your sins and that God would forget them for all time, would be through faith in him that you would trust. If you haven't, that's not on you yet. And it could be. There's nothing stopping that this morning. But that's the first step in that process. The second step is what I've already mentioned, that when we come together, that we don't just sing the songs that are on the screen, that we don't just bow our head in prayer because it's what we do every week. And I said, hey, bow with me in prayer. That you don't sit and listen and open up God's word and read it because we're just supposed to. We do all of these things because it's, it reveals to us what Christ has done and it reminds us of the change that he's brought. It reminds us of God's love and that he made all of this possible for us through Jesus, his son, sending him to die on the cross. So we come and we offer up praise rightfully offer up praise, motivated not by ritual, not by routine, motivated by who God is and what he's done. Motivated by the fact that we don't have to bring sacrifices anymore, that he put the whole system to bed, fulfilled it. Not just ended it, but fulfilled it. Because it was a picture of Jesus, the lamb who was slain. John the Baptist who is in charge of paving the way for Jesus. As he's teaching people and baptizing people at the Jordan River, he sees Jesus across the river. And everybody, everybody's familiar with this Old Testament process of offering lambs and all that. Sacrificial system, ceremonial law, all that. And so as John says, looking at Jesus... Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's going, what? That's a man, not a lamb. 
what, the, the sins of the world on one guy? John knew because God had revealed it to him and he knew that that picture in the Old Testament, the whole process was pointing toward Jesus. That Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. We ought to offer up praise and then our life daily, we ought to wake up. If your faith is in Christ and you wake up every morning trusting Jesus, it ought to be my confession and your confession. Jesus, my life is yours today. That we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice, that as I continue living, I'm sacrificing my life to Jesus. Today, Jesus, my life is yours. So as I work, as I go to school, as I play basketball, as I drive in my car, as I listen to music, as I sit with my family and eat, as I interact with my wife, as I love my kids, as I love my grandkids, etc., etc., etc. Jesus, my life, whatever I do, whatever I say, my life is yours. Let my life be an offering to you. Help whatever I do, whatever I say, whoever I interact with, however I interact with them. Help it to be praise to you. This is my life and it is my offering. It's the only thing I can bring to you. It's the only thing that I have. This, this is our confession every day. This is how we approach every moment, or should approach every moment of our lives. Jesus, my life is yours. That's, my, that's a picture of my trust, that my life is yours. I'm laying it down as I live and breathe for you. So, wherever you ask me to go, I will go. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Whatever you ask me to say, I will say to whomever you put in front of me, regardless of the consequences, regardless of their reaction to me or how I think that they will react to me. I, I want to live for you regardless of how I think that they'll talk about me. I want to live for you and follow you regardless of how weird it may look to other people. Like if you said, we don't give gifts at our house on Christmas. We don't do presents. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying if you said that, or I said that, if you told somebody that, you worked with or go to school with or whatever, would they think you're weird? I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm just saying if, if Christ so leads, if God so leads, as you say, whatever you say to do, I'll do. Wherever you say to go, I'll go. Whatever you say to say, I'll say. If that's it, and we know standing in front of people and saying, we don't do presents on Christmas. If that makes me weird, then I'd rather be weird and following God than not be weird and be outside of God's will. And that could be a hundred different things. No, I, I'm not going to sleep with somebody before I'm married. In our day and age, this is weird. What? That's old-fashioned. No, it's godly. No, I'm not going to make Christmas about Santa. I'm going to make it about Jesus. That may be weird. 
I'm not saying Santa's evil. I'm not saying you can't do Santa at all, okay? I'm saying if our Christmas celebration is more about Santa than it is about Jesus, we miss something. What, what, whatever it is, our lives are his to go where he says to go, to say what he says to say to whomever he puts in front of us. That's a living sacrifice. At work, at home, at church, in the grocery store, at school, wherever it is. So we respond by surrendering our lives to him. We respond by offering him praise. We respond by offering him our life continually. Day to day, week to week. It's his. He purchased it with his blood. We ought to respond and remember that the only reason that we come in here able to worship God this morning is because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. That he opened up a way for us to just walk through a door and sing through his sacrifice. The old picture was but a picture and a shadow. Jesus is the true and living sacrifice offered one time for all people forever. That's it. Taking care of our sins, forgiving them, and making it possible for God to forget them for all time. If you would respond to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that is offered in that we don't have to try to figure out what's enough to pay for our sins. When is enough enough? What's a good enough sacrifice or, or whatever? God, because you showed us what is enough and you provided for us on our behalf what is enough. Jesus is enough. His life laid down is enough for us to find relationship with you, for us to find true life, for us to find the forgiveness of our sins, for you to forget them for good. Jesus is enough, and so we are here this morning either because we know that or maybe because we thought maybe that was the case, but we're not sure yet. Maybe there are some here that you're drawing and they kind of have a hint of that idea. That Jesus is the answer. And they may not even know what the question is yet. God, I pray that you would continue to draw them. That there are some here this morning that if they've never placed faith in you, that they would offer up their lives. That they would trust you with their life this morning because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Because he didn't stay dead but he rose from the dead, conquering death. God, move in this time. May we respond to you as you call and draw. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.